Go ahead and stand if you would. Let me have a quick word of prayer, and then I'm going to introduce. Have we got somebody else coming up to do something? Oh, we have some more of the handouts and outlines and stuff. Raise your hand if you don't have one. And, uh, boy, we're quick on the draw. We got that printed up. So raise your hand if you don't have an outline. They will, the guys walking around will get one to you. And while they are doing that, I'm going to go ahead and lead us in prayer, and then I'm going to introduce our speaker for today. Father, we thank you, Lord. I thank you for the uh, fact we can gather together for a specific purpose, and that purpose to be able to review what you commanded us to do. And I don't know, there, I don't know that I'm sure there are um, a list of things that you could say are commands in the New Testament, things that ought to be done. Uh, but, but the first one we know of is what Jesus told us to do, and it starts with the word go. And Father, I thank you that we can bring in men and women and families from across this globe, ones who have gone to teach us what it means to be a person that will go and how to go and how to go here and how to go from here. And so, Father, I thank you. I pray you'd be with us not just today, but all, all this week. I pray you'd be with our special speaker now. We ask in Jesus' precious name, amen. Go ahead and be seated in the Lord's presence. Brian Clark's going to be making his way to the speaker's podium. And um, I think it was 1998 that a, a, a team from our church went to London. Brian was on that team. And... Then, subsequent to that, I think he felt like God was calling them to go back there. He was a student in our Bible Institute at the time, and God was calling him to go back as a missionary. And uh, I knew he'd make a good missionary because he did everything I told him. And if I told him wear Doc Martens, he wore Doc Martens. And, um, you know, we had a good time over there together, and it was a joy to see him go and the work that they've done. They went in 2000. They worked with another organization over there for a while. They were at another church over there for a while. And then they planted Crossroads Baptist Church in 2007. And he recently uh, turned that church over to a Britisher, to a, to a young man, his family, uh, to be pastor of that church that Brian had trained up and take, take that church over. Uh, they are uh, taking a furlough then uh, here in the States for, I think, about 18 more months and then plan to head back and do the same thing over again. And so Brian comes from a great line of missionary leaders and foreign missionaries and dignities, dignitaries of missions and those who go. So Brian Clark, come on up and bless us. Love you. Love you. Well, it, it is a pleasure to be here with all of you, and I am glad for the announcement uh, for prayer that Pastor Allen made about what's going on in Israel. Uh, with all of those that are there, uh, many of their relatives live in our city, um, and uh, our daughter is, uh, is back there right now. She goes to the University of Cardiff in Wales, just three hours west of London, and so she just recently went back to finish up her last year. So. Normally, we're just three hours away from her, but now she's like across the water, and uh, so uh, I hate her being gone, and I hate her being that far away. Anyway, be praying for her as she's over there. Um, it, makes, it does make you think, like, wh what do we do about that stuff? You know, when we see the news, like, I, I don't even watch the news anymore <laughs> because it's just like too much bad stuff, right? There's always something going on. And uh, what do you do about that? I mean, this is, I'm sorry, this is not even part of the sermon, but uh, when you wonder, like, uh, how are we supposed to address that? You see something horrible on the news, and then, you know, then you turn on Netflix and let it all wash away until the next time you watch the news. And I think that the best way to address those kind of political problems is to go soul winning. I think that that is the best way to address all political problems in the world is to be a soul winner. Uh, let, think about it with me for just a second, and then I promise I'll preach to you, but if you think about that with me for just a second, let's say whatever political 
fight we're in, you know, there's so many of them. Whatever side you're on, you know, whatever. Um, let's say that you win that fight. Let's say you win the fight, and then the rapture happens, which we know is going to happen at any minute, right? So then that happens. So then what did you win? We, we didn't win anything. Because as believers in Jesus Christ, the only thing that we're supposed to win are souls. That's what we're supposed to be busy winning. Now, not for nothing, but if you do win someone to Christ and you start discipling them in God's word, a lot of those political issues take care of themselves, don't they? But we need to be focused right now. We're we're at the two-minute clock, right? I mean, time is almost up. Uh, our train is about to arrive at the station. And there's a lot of people out there that don't have a ticket. We need to be busy about winning souls. That is the only thing, really, we need to concern ourselves with winning right now. All right, anyway, sorry. I had to say that. Uh, I, I, I need you to know that for me personally, it is such an honor to be able to be here with all of you uh, this morning. Hey, Delana. How you doing? I haven't even got a chance to hug you yet. Yeah. I apologize for that. But um, it, To be able to come and see you guys face to face and to be able to say thank you. Because uh, we finished the first church plant. Isn't that great? Um, yeah. And so we trained. I spent about six years training up a local guy. His name's Paul Waller. His wife, Emma. They're just an absolute dream, this couple. And he is, he's just so much of a better pastor than I was. He's a really great guy. He really is. And, um, and so we're so thankful for him, but we've turned that over to him. And, and now we're on furlough for a little while because we want to go around to all of our churches so we can say, just like I'm here this morning, to say thank you for constantly supporting us and praying for us, uh, having our back, being there with us for so many years Uh, Because there is a church now, it's a disciple-making church, a King James church, a Baptist church, solid doctrine, expository preaching, it's exactly like-minded with you, that is there in London where there wasn't one before, and you did that. You guys did that. Yeah, give yourselves a hand, really. You guys are the ones that did that. Without your support, without your prayers, it never would have happened. So from the bottom of my heart, on behalf of my wife and My kids, uh, we want to say thank you so much for sticking with us. Uh, It's such an honor to be able to come and tell you that face to face. Um, I've been looking forward to this morning as well because I I want to be able to give back uh, to you. I want to be able to be of some benefit to you this morning. As uh, Paul said in Romans 1.11, he said, I long to see you. And, And that is how I felt. Before I arrived this morning, I, I really did long to see you. He says that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. And that is my prayer for this morning, is that I might be able to serve you in the word of God this morning, to be able to be of some benefit to your faith. The gift that I bring is a spiritual one, and it's only imparted to you in the word of God by the spirit of God. So I want us to just pray and ask the Lord to help us so that I might be able to deliver this gift to you this morning. Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would speak through me, that you would help me to speak. I pray that you give us open hearts to understand, that you give us open ears to be able to hear what your spirit is saying through your word. I pray that the message would come with power and not mine, but yours. I pray, Lord, this message would come with wisdom, uh, but not the world's, but your wisdom. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Uh, My wife and I and our four kids, my wife is sitting right over there. Can you guys just stare at her until it makes her really uncomfortable? Do you see that? Right there, that's her. Uh, She doesn't like it when I do that, which is why I do it, right? It's so much fun. Look at her again. (laughs) And that's my son sitting next to her. And he loves it when I do it. He, he likes it. Uh, unfortunately, my daughter, uh, Caitlin, is not in the crowd today. Uh, she's already heard this sermon, so she was like, I'm out. I'm, I'm taking off. 
And, uh, and then our youngest, Stefan, is also in one of the other classes as well. And uh, our oldest, as I said, is away at school. But anyway, all of us are really so happy to be here. And all of us, all six of us, we share a burden uh, that is very heavy on our heart. We have a burden to equip every believer to be a soul winner. Uh, that's what we want every believer to be. Uh, now, can you imagine with me if that, if that were the case? Just for a second. Can you imagine if every believer uh, was able and equipped to be a soul winner? Can you imagine what would happen if every believer uh, would cut loose of this world and become addicted to their father's business? Can you imagine what would happen if every believer would stop pursuing the American dream and would start obeying the Great Commission? Can you imagine what churches across the world would look like if they weren't filled up with dried up, bitter husks of people? Instead, it would be filled with happy, fruitful soul winners like we find here this morning. Can you imagine what that would look like across the United States if that were the case? Soul winning, I believe, is the answer to most problems in the church because most of the problems that you find in the church were put there by Satan for the express purpose of distracting us from soul winning. If you have sin in your life, just cut it loose and go soul winning. If you have scandal in your church, then cast them out and go soul winning. If you have someone causing division, well, turn your back on them and go soul winning instead. If you get offended, forgive it and go soul winning. If you're overweight, burn some calories and go soul winning. It's really the answer to just about every problem that you have. Now, obviously, there's some problems that are complex that you have to deal with, but there are so many problems in all seriousness, there's so many problems in our life and in our churches that would be, would be solved if we would simply stop giving them oxygen and instead turn our prayers, our time, and our attention to the winning of souls. The sad truth is, even though the only reason we are here on this planet is to win souls and to make disciples who win souls... Even though that is true, the sad truth is the vast majority of believers will never share Christ with a single person their entire life. That is common practice today. But let me tell you something else that is true. I'm convinced that there are a lot of believers out there who would really like to be soul winners, but they simply don't know how. And more specifically, they don't know how to start. They don't know how to start. That's what I want to provide you with this morning is a way to make a proper start at being a soul winner. Because when it comes to soul winning, the start is the hardest part. Do you feel that? It's always, I mean, if you get into it with somebody, you may make a mess of it, but you can make your way through that conversation, right? But it's the start that's so difficult. I want to show you what a proper start to being a soul winner really looks like this morning. And we're going to be able to actually deal with that start this morning. And we discover the real secret to that in the, in the example of Philip the Evangelist in Acts chapter 8. I want you to read with me the story. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 36. It says, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Doesn't sound like a nice location. And he arose and he went. He was obedient. And behold, a man of Ethiopia is the man that he met. And he was a man of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure. And he had just come from Jerusalem to worship and was returning and sitting in his chariot. And he read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself into the chariot. And Philip, what did he do? And Philip ran thither to him. And he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. And the place of the scripture where he read was this. 
that he, talking about Christ, as it prophetically pictures Christ here, as he, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before the shear, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and he began at the same scripture, and he preached unto him Jesus. And we find uh, there's so many lessons we can learn out of that passage. Uh, three in particular is that you need, as a soul winner, you need to run in obedience. You need to rest in the Lord, and you need to be ready in the Word. But today, we're not going to go through all of that. This morning, we're just going to take a small bite. And you guys are all like, praise the Lord, right? Because you're like, I'm ready to go to lunch, man. So just make it a small bite so we can get out of here. I just want to go through a small lesson, just that first one, that we need to run in obedience, focusing in on verses 29 and 30, where it says, the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And what did Philip do? And Philip ran thither to him. Now, there's so many things that even from this verse that you could get about being a soul winner, uh, the fact that Philip ran to him, that he was obedient to go to him. Uh, they are not supposed to come to us. We're supposed to go to them as soul winners, but also that he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He was paying attention to where this guy was at, and he asked him some questions. That's always the best way to start. There's so many lessons we could get from this, but this morning, I want to focus on just one part. I just want to focus on just one part of the whole passage, and that is that when the Spirit told Philip to go, that he didn't just go, he ran. He ran. Philip was obedient to the command of the Holy Spirit. As it says in verse 27, he said, I want you to go out of Gaza to the desert. So he went. He was obedient. And when he said that I want you to go to the chariot, he ran. And this passage shows us so much more than just his obedience. This passage shows us the attitude of his heart. It shows us that Philip, in his running, what this demonstrates was his willingness and his eagerness to obey. He wasn't just going to obey, he was willing and eager to obey. As it says in Psalm 119 and verse 32, the psalmist writes, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou hast enlarged my heart. And you can see the connection between the running and the heart in that passage. And that is the kind of obedience that God is looking for in us. If you look in Exodus 25 verses 1 to 2, it says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it, how? willingly with his heart. And if you jump down to Exodus 35, verses 21 to 22, we see that they came. It says, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up and everyone whose spirit, that is their attitude, made them willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle, the congregation for all the service and for the holy garments. And they came both men and women as many as were willing-hearted, they brought all of their offering to the Lord. Our problem as soul winners is often not our skills. Our problem normally is our heart attitude. Instead of us as soul winners, instead of us running, we are often reluctant instead. It reminds me of when my dad used to come in in the morning and he would wake me up for school like really early. It's still like dark outside. You guys know, remember when your parents would wake you up for school? It's like the worst moment of your life, right? It's awful. It's just awful. And he would wake me up and I would just get out of bed and I would just be worthless. I mean, I hated everything. I hated my whole family. I hated breakfast. I would just kind of float and ooze around the house like some sort of cranky lava lamp, you know? I just hated the whole morning. Couldn't believe that my life had led me to that moment, right? It was awful. 
But then my dad could come in on the weekend, on like on a Saturday, and he'd be like, hey, like six in the morning, hey, we're going fishing. And I'd just be like, bing, I'd be out of bed. I'd be like running around, getting dressed in the dark. I'm putting on my sister's jeans. and I don't even care. I'm just trying to get out to the truck because I'm so excited that we get to go fishing. And what's the difference? Same time of day. The difference is my heart attitude is the problem. That is the problem. That is the difference that your heart attitude can make. See, a reluctant heart is not an obedient heart. A reluctant heart is not the heart of a servant. A reluctant heart is not the heart of a soul winner. In 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, it says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the Lord, the God of thy father. He says, I want you to know him and serve him. He says, with a perfect heart, And with what? With a willing mind. Now, let me ask you a question. What what is it that gets you running today? What, What is it that you're so willing and eager to do? Are you willing and eager to content the people around you? That's what we see in Mark 15, 15, when it says that Pilate, remember when he was about to condemn Christ... It says, Pilate, willing to content the people, what did he do? He released Barabbas unto them, and he delivered Jesus to be scourged and crucified because he was so eager to make sure that the people around him were content, that they were okay, that they were appeased, that he was willing to turn over Barabbas to them to release him so that he could condemn Christ. What about us? Are you so willing and eager to content the people around you? What about, are you willing and eager to justify yourself? We see in Luke chapter 10, verses 26 to 29, when this man comes to Christ seeking how he may be saved, and Christ says to him, well, what are you reading the law? And he answered and said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said, well, you've answered right, so go do that and live. And this man willing to justify himself, it says, he started to make excuses. Well, who exactly is my neighbor? And that's what we do. We're always so eager to make sure everyone around us is content with us, and we justify ourselves and make excuses. We're so eager to do that, aren't we? We're so eager to justify and make excuses for our disobedience. Maybe you're here today And you were willing and eager for a season. When Jesus was talking to the crowd in John 5, 33 through 35, he was talking about John the Baptist, and he said unto them, he said, listen, he was a burning and shining light. He says, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light when Jesus condemned them. He says, you were willing for a season to rejoice in it, but not anymore. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you can remember back in the day when you used to be a soul winner, when you used to not uh, feel any compunction about sharing Jesus with somebody else, but you look around and those days are gone. Or maybe you have today a willing and eager heart to obey the Lord. Like we see in the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 16 to 17, He says this, he says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. He says, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. He says, for if I do this thing, how? Willingly, then I have a reward. But if against my will, like I I do it even when I don't want to do it, because this dispensation has been entrusted to me, this responsibility is heavy upon me, and woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. That's the kind of eagerness that we need in a soul winner. And we see that Philip here in his running to the person, he has the same heart that God has. Let me ask you this in the opposite way. What are you unwilling to do? What are you unwilling to do? 2 Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering to usward. What does it say? 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the repentance. See, that's the reason why Philip is running, is because Philip is unwilling to stand aside while the lost perish. What are you unwilling to do? Are you, are you unwilling to stand aside and to stay silent while the lost perish? Or are you one who is unwilling to share the gospel with them? Which one is it? In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, it says, Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. We are, according to Paul, we are in this race and we are there to run, and we are there to run to win. To win what? We're there to win souls. As we see in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, we say, well, I thought we were there to win crowns. And Paul tells the Thessalonians, he says, you guys are my crown. He says, what is my joy? What is my hope? What is my crown of rejoicing? Is it not you in the day of Christ? You see, my joy, my crown is not that I get to go to heaven. My joy is that you get to go. That is my joy. That is the crown that I'm trying to win, is that the guy next to me gets to go. That's what I'm running to win. We are running to win people. We're running to win the lost. We are running to win souls. That is the eagerness and the willingness of a soul winner. Romans chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, Paul says this. He says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both the wise and the unwise. He says a debtor. Do you know what that means? What he's saying is he's saying no matter who it is, barbarian, Greek, wise, unwise, it doesn't matter who it is. He says, I owe it to them to give them the gospel. That's what he's saying. When you look at your neighbor that lives next to you or the person that you work with or your family member or your friend or whoever it might be, just a stranger on the street, because they are a human being, you owe it to them to share the gospel with them. And he says to them in Romans, he says, I owe it to them. He says this in verse 15. Now look at this phrase. He says, so as much as in me is. Do you see that? That's such a great phrase. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. He's saying, with everything that is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel. That's the eagerness and the willingness that made Philip run. And we see the same eagerness in the heart of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. If you look at that passage with me, This is when Isaiah saw in chapter 6 the vision of the Lord. And it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah is like, Hey, here I am. Right here. Now the thing that's cool about that is that the Lord hasn't even told him what the mission is yet. He hasn't even explained to him the job description. The Lord's like, Listen, I need someone to send for... Right here. I'll go. He's like, But I haven't told you. It doesn't matter. Please send me. Now, that's eagerness. That's willingness to go. That's the eagerness that made Philip run. Before the Lord had even revealed the task, Isaiah was there with his hand raised, saying, please send me. Now, what is in your heart today? Are you willing? Are you eager? When the command of the Holy Spirit comes, will you be running or will you be reluctant? And you ask, now what, what can I do about this? Because see, listen, here's the truth. We all feel that. We all feel that. There was plenty of days I would go out on the street to try to talk to people about Christ, and I would just be looking around just praying that it would rain so I could go, so I could go home, right? Just praying. We all feel that. I'd wake up in the morning you know, and look at my shoes and think, man, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go. I mean, look at my wife. She's beautiful. I'd rather stay home with her than go out there and talk to a bunch of people I don't know. We all feel that, but we, we think, how can we fix it, though? 
How can we fix this reluctance that we have? How can we fix this reluctant heart? I want to tell you three things. I'm going to give you one thing to remember, two things that will correct it, and three ways to help. Now, one thing to remember about this to help give us a better perspective is something that we teach all of our children, and that is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. I think this is one of those things you can carry with you wherever you go, and that is this. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. We see in Matthew 4:22 when the Lord called his disciples to go with him, it says, "And they immediately left the ship and their father and they followed him." That's what obedience is. It's it's immediate. We say that to our kids all the time. My kids are probably just sick to death. It's like uh, I told you to take out the rubbish and, uh, and they're like, no, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I love rubbish. I'm going to take it out, Dad. It's great. You know? And I'm like, yeah, but I told you like 30 minutes ago. So they disobeyed. Well, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Well, going to do it is not doing it. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And that's, that's true when it comes to soul winning. Okay, so that's one thing to remember, but two things that will correct this problem. One, you need to pray for strength. You, you have to have an ongoing conversational relationship with the Lord. That's where you get your strength from. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, And they that wait upon the Lord, and that waiting upon the Lord, that's talking about this conversational relationship. You're waiting there at his feet for what he would have to say. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run. And not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So not only do you need to pray for strength, but number two, you need to practice running. Pray for strength and practice running. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, we get a really good principle. A whole lot of things in this verse here, but I just want you to glean a small principle. He says, he that is faithful in that which is least is also faithful in much, Right? This is a very helpful principle because you need to practice running in the little things. This is where we get some practice. Because when it comes time to like, the Lord's like, I, I can remember a time when I saw this huge crowd. I was in this really dodgy neighborhood in London and I saw this big crowd of guys over there. And they looked rather unsavory. <laughs> and he was like, you need to go share the gospel with those guys. And I'm like, for real? Jeez, I did not. I was like, I do not want to do this, you know. Okay, what, you're thinking, man, I, I don't want to do that. Okay, but before we ever get to those moments, right, you need to practice running in the little things. That's where it starts. You develop your eagerness. You develop your eagerness to obey. Like, for example, uh, when the Spirit says, hey, it's time for you to get into the Word, don't be reluctant. Run to it. Run to it. Practice running. Run to obey. Whenever the Spirit says, hey, it's time to go to church, you know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you're like, good grief. Man, I mean, my show just came out, you know, it just started. I'm tired, you know, and I don't got nothing to wear and all the things. And look, when, it says, when the Holy Spirit's like, look, it's time to go to church, don't be reluctant. Practice running. Practice running. Say, man, let's, let's run to church. You know, there are so many people in the world that would give their eye teeth for a church like this. This is like, this is like Canaan, man. And you think, well, we've got our problems. So what? Everybody does. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you, I've got problems. Everybody's got problems. Every church has problems. But man, there are so many people in the world, they do not have a church that is teaching you the Bible, willing to disciple you. As my good friend Brandon says, you go through discipleship, you get like a free therapist for nine months. Who else can say that? You guys have that. Just run to it out of just gratitude. Just come flying through the front doors and be like, man, who's preaching? And they're like, they're not going to start for an hour. And you're like, well, get someone up there to preach while I'm waiting. I'm ready to hear God's word. Just run to it when the Holy Spirit says. 
What about whenever the Holy Spirit says that there's a need that needs to be met at church? You can practice running. Run to it. Don't be reluctant. What about when the Spirit tells you to come forward to the altar today so that you can get your heart right? You can practice. Because I promise you'll feel the reluctance. But you can practice running. You need to practice running in the little things, the things that you can do, so that when the moment comes for you to run in the big things, like sharing the gospel with a group of guys that you've never met, then you will have the strength to do so. So that's two things that will fix this problem. And three ways that this will help is that, it, one, it will help you grow in strength. Number two is it will help you grow in maturity and wisdom as you learn to, to run and listen to him. And three, it will help you to discern his voice. I can call my son Hudson up, and all I have to say is, hey, and he knows it's me, right? Because we spend so much time together, he knows what my voice sounds like. And as you practice in the little things, you start learning what his voice sounds like so that whenever he tells you, hey, I want you to go talk to this guy, then you'll know that it's him. You learn how to discern his voice. So practice running in the little things. And you can see this growth process right here in chapter 8 of the book of Acts. Where was Philip before he was ever called to run out into the middle of a desert to lead one of the top officials of an entire country not an easy thing to do, by the way, to go attach himself to that chariot that had guards and everything, no doubt. Where was he before that? Well, he was over in Samaria, wasn't he? Already ministering to the Samaritans, wasn't he? And where was he before the Holy Spirit rushed him out of Jerusalem to go to the Samaritans? Where was he then? He was serving tables at the church in Jerusalem. I'm sure round tables, no doubt. I'm sure they were all round. That's, those are godly tables. Round tables are godly tables because you can look at each other, right? The square ones, those are pe for people that don't want to repent, right? We want the round ones. But that's where Philip was. He was serving tables in Jerusalem. That's the little stuff, man. He started with the little stuff, and the Holy Spirit moved him out to minister to the Samaritans, and then he took him to the desert so that he could win an official of a country to the Lord who then took the gospel to that entire country. Before we get to the big things, we've got to start running with the little things. Philip was running in obedience long before he ever got to the desert. That is what we should do. You have to make this your practice. When the Spirit speaks to you through the Word and tells you to do something, run to it. Do it willingly. Do it eagerly and do it immediately. You have to make this your process. So you say to yourself, I'm going to prayerfully start running in the little things to practice running in the big things. Now then, okay, if you start to do that, just a little warning, I want you to watch what happens. Now you may go and say, okay, that's just another message from some preacher, big deal. But if you do it, I want you to watch what happens. Because see, the, we say all the time that the reason why we drag our feet as soul winners is because we're afraid and because we're embarrassed and because we're untrained. And these things are true. These things are true, but they are also very much surface problems that can be addressed very easily. When you start running in obedience to the little things, you will discover something very important about yourself. For example, when the Holy Spirit says, hey, I want you to come take some time and pray with me. Now, this is a very easy task. It's not scary. It's not embarrassing. And it requires no training. And you just watch your heart when the Holy Spirit says that and find that it's not still reluctant in a task that is easy in a task that is not scary, in a task you need no training for, and yet you are still reluctant. And then all of a sudden you discover that our real problem is not our skills or our fear. Our real problem is a heart problem. That is where our problem really is. We have a heart that is still reluctant. Now I want you to listen to me very carefully. As I said at the very beginning of this sermon... The reason why we exist on this planet, 
the only reason we exist is so that we can be holy soul winners to make disciples who are holy soul winners. And yet, the vast majority of believers will never, they will, they will never win a single soul to Christ. That is the vast majority. This reminds me of the great women of the Old Testament, people like Sarah, people like Rachel, Jacob's wife. What about Hannah, the mother of Samuel, one of the greatest prophets in the Bible? What about the wife of uh, Manoah, the mother of Samson? What about the Shunammite woman who was an acolyte of the prophet Elisha? What do all these women have in in common? They were all barren. All these women, they struggled with this problem of being barren. They couldn't have any kids. And these women, what would they do? They would cry out to the Lord. And they would beg the Lord. They would beg him that this terrible and embarrassing reproach would be removed from them. We see it story after story after story all through the whole history of the Old Testament, constantly telling us a story about another woman who's barren, who would cry out to the Lord, please remove this reproach from me. In Genesis 30, verse 1, Rachel, in envy to her sister who was having children, goes up to Jacob and she tells him, she says, give me children or else I die. Now, the lives of these great mothers are recorded for a reason. Because what is physical in the Old Testament is meant to mirror what is spiritual in the New. The barren women of the Bible, they picture us. They picture us who are barren and have no spiritual children. You see, their sorrow that they felt is there for a reason. Their sorrow and their shame that they felt was there to reveal to us what barrenness is supposed to feel like. It's supposed to feel like a failure that we fear in our lives. Barrenness is supposed to be an emptiness that we feel in our heart. Barrenness is supposed to be a reproach that we wear in our communities. But today, we don't feel that. It doesn't feel like failure or emptiness or reproach. Sadly, we've figured out a way to cope with it. Today, it feels less like a reproach that we want to remove, and it feels more like, you know, it's a good responsibility that we should improve upon. If I could ask the instruments to come forward to begin to to play, uh, I want us to take a moment to deal with this. If we could, if I could ask all of you at your tables to just close your Bibles, just close your Bibles, put your stuff up, and, and I want you just to focus on what I'm going to tell you for just a minute, and then we're going to be done. I would like for all of you just to consider for a moment what you have learned this morning. Now, as the musicians prepare to play, I want to ask you a question. Would you admit the possibility that we may have a heart problem? Would you just admit the possibility that we may have a heart problem? That goes beyond mere training and getting over our fears. Would you admit that the possibility is there that we may have a heart problem? Uh, Instead of being soul winners, we are often silent. Instead of our hearts running in obedience, our hearts are reluctant. Now, the answer to this begins with repentance. I told you that I wanted to show you how to make a good start. Right there is how you make a good start. There's another spot right here. That's how you make a good start. You want to know where it started for me? It started on the floor of my office back home in London. That's where God changed me into a soul winner. It starts with repentance. I think of Jonah and his reluctant heart that you read about. 
Jonah who was headed in the wrong direction and they found him asleep in the bottom of the boat, didn't they? While the storm was raging around him, he was sound asleep, just like so many of us. We're we're so tired. We're sleepy. Our Christian hearts are sleepy. And the old pagan shipmaster said to him, in Jonah 1.6, the shipmaster came to him and said, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that he will think on us and we perish not. And though we know that we will not perish, for we have Christ, we cannot say the same thing about our neighbor. And yet we sleep on. Yet we continue to sleep. If we are going to start this conference right, if we're going to spend the week singing and preaching about our mission, should we not first come and leave our reluctant heart here at the altar? Should we not come and ask the Lord to strengthen us, to run in the small things so that he might fit us for the great things of winning souls for him? Should we not come and cry out to the Lord and tell him, Lord, I am tired. I am tired of holding back. I am weary of my reluctance. I don't want to stroll and stammer anymore. I want to run. I want to run with you. I want to run and win the great prize of souls for you. Should we not come and repent and ask the Lord to forgive our unwillingness for standing by while the lost remain in the dark? Will we make a proper start? Will we begin the conference right? Will we begin with our own heart before we try to reach theirs? Now is the time. Now, see, you already are starting to see it, aren't you? Because, see, now is your time to run. Now is your time to run in obedience to what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. And you can feel it, can't you? You feel the reluctance. But now is the time to come. As they sing, will you come? Will you not be reluctant? Don't let that reluctance stop you. Would you come here and just leave that reluctant heart right here at the altar and say, I want to start right. And it doesn't start with you talking to them about Jesus. It comes, it starts with you laying on your face on the altar and repenting of that reluctant heart and say, I want to run for you. I don't want to hold back anymore. Would you come as we sing? Now is the time. Come forward and let's make it right. Now is your chance to run in obedience. As the Spirit leads you, don't be reluctant. Run to the altar where you find nothing but grace to forgive and strength to run, to be able to run like Elijah ran, to be able to run like Philip ran to the lost. That can be you if you want it to be. Now is the time. Let's make it right. I felt what you're feeling. I feel it every day. We can't allow that heart to hold us back. No more reluctance. We want to be those who run. Now is your chance to make it right. Just leave it here. And say, Lord, all I want to do is just start with the little things. Just start running with the little things. I think that this week is going to be a great conference. I'm so overjoyed to be here with all of you. And even if you were reluctant now and God is dealing with you, it's never too late to make it right. I love you guys. And I can't wait for the rest of this week. God bless you.
You know what I think? I think that was the start we needed. I think that was the start we needed. I have three things I pray for my grandkids every day. I pray for my grandkids. I pray for our harvest kids. I pray for you, but really these salient points are more, I think, directed at them. But I do pray for our kids, and I pray for you. I pray for their soul walk. I pray for their prayer life because I pray that they would turn to God in everything. I just pray they'd turn to God in everything. I want that for your kids. I, I want that for you. I want, I want you to want that for our kids. I, I thought, you know, that fits in so well to what Brian was saying about pray for strength and ability to discern God's voice. and. So we've made the investment this year to bring more missionaries in than we've ever had in this place at one time before. And to do that because I believe that when we bring our missionaries in as, as they cycle in and out with our kids, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, your children get to see what God will do when you turn to him. They get to see how to turn to God because these individuals have. I mean, they uprooted their families from their homeland and went someplace else in the world just to minister the gospel. So we all get to see what it, what it takes to go sometimes, but what God will do if you go and, and what God has done through them and how and what results there will be from turning to God. Tonight at 5.30, Monday through Wednesday night, food at 5.15, that's on us, that's on me. We're, we're taking care of food just for you to come. We will take, Lord willing, an offering, I think, Wednesday night. We ought to just do that publicly. We did that last year. That's why we can afford to do what we do this year. And so, yeah, we're going to do that. But 5.15, food, 6, 6.30 to the service. You'll be praying for what God's going to do to get a start. This is exactly the start we need, and we need it. We need it to carry us on. We need to carry it on. So go ahead and stand, if you would. Let's get ready for the praise team to send us out.